Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with... Tasha Robinson. And... Genevieve Kosky. And once again, absent is Scott Tobias. Scott... Come back. We miss you. Send Batman for him. Yeah. In the first half of this conversation, we talked about Batman, the 1989 Tim Burton film that brought Batman to the big screen and helped redefine the character as a grim Avenger of the night for a wider audience. Since that film, Batman seldom been out of the spotlight. It was followed by one Burton-directed sequel and two Joel Schumacher-helmed follow-ups that started to push the series back toward the camp of the 60s TV show. Meanwhile, Batman became a TV fixture again via the brilliant Batman the Animated Series, then returned to the big screen via Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, and just last year returned yet again as half of the matchup in the title of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Part of what makes Batman's latest outing, the Lego Batman movie, so clever is the way it not only doesn't try to ignore those past incarnations, it treats them all as being part of the character's history. It's free to do this by virtue of being a spinoff of the Lego movie, which created a realm in which Lego versions of famous characters could live side by side and enjoy fun, in-joke-filled animated adventures alongside one another. The Lego Batman movie spins off one of that movie's best characters, the vain, vulnerable Batman voiced by Will Arnett, into his own movie, and fills it with references to Batman lore, from obscure villains to references to the 60s show that every other Batman movie has done its best to ignore. But it's also, at heart, a real Batman story. Lego Batman is a billionaire who's sure of his own awesomeness and driven to fight crime, but he's also a lonely guy afraid of commitment. Over the years, Batman's alternated between being a lone avenger to heading up an expansive Bat family, and the changes have tended to reflect what we want from Batman at any given point in time, and shaped his characterization. Do we want the tortured, gravel-voiced brawler, or to use a term from the movie, a caring Bat-Dad? The Lego Batman movie makes that question central to the plot. And while it arrives at one answer, pretty much the only answer a warm-hearted, kid-friendly film could arrive at, it still raises some compelling questions. Who is Batman, really? Why does the character work in so many different variations? And why do we keep coming back to Batman in his many forms? We'll talk it over after the break. Hi, Batman! So weird to keep running into you! Like your plan failed. Well, it's only a matter of time before I take over Gotham City. When has that ever happened? Computer. Calculating. Never. 
You know why? Because I'm always one step ahead of you. And I always get away! Not this time. Because this time, I got you. Well, there's only one problem. Who's going to defuse the bomb? It's got to be one or the other, Batman. Save the city or catch your greatest enemy. You can't do both. What did you just say? You can't do both, I said. No, I mean the other thing. Save the city or catch your greatest enemy. You think you're my greatest enemy? Yes! You're obsessed with me. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are! Who else drives you to one-up them the way that I do? Bane. No, he doesn't. Superman. Superman's not a bad guy. Then I'd say that I don't currently have a bad guy. I am fighting a few different people. What? I like to fight around. All right, what did everyone else make of the Lego Batman movie? I thought it was delightful. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think I liked it more as a Batman movie than as a Lego movie. Mm. I, I feel like coming out of this one, I kind of felt that the surprise of the Lego movie had gone away, obviously. Like, we, we know what a Lego movie is doing now. So it just felt a little more frantic. But as you said in the intro, I think it does really interesting things with the Batman mythos. And so that ended up being the surprise of it. I guess my only critique of the Lego Batman movie is that it did feel a little more... It just it felt like a lot. It felt like mm-hmm. it, it felt like what I was saying in the first half about Batman being so slow in eighty nine Batman. This is like the exact opposite of it. It was just like bam, 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 just visually and in terms of story and dialogue. Yeah, know? I knew immediately I need to see this again to catch more of the jokes. I don't I don't want to even say catch all of the jokes. It throws jokes at you at like a thirty rock pace. Right, but but where with the Lego movie, I was like, I need to see that again immediately. And mm-hmm. this one, I was like, I think I need a little break before I see before <laughs> I see this again. I need a nap. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, like I, I definitely want to go back and see it again. If nothing else, just because much as with the Lego movie, it's so visually busy. Mm-hmm. I like I feel like my brain moves fast enough that I was able to keep up with all of the the verbal jokes which come at just like machine gun speed but layered on top of that are like nonstop visual jokes so the business with like the zillion sometimes like very very obscure villains cropping up in the background or little little things like alfred holding holding a book on like how to discipline your wayward (laughs) child i mean there's just there's so many like little visual things going on and then you add that to like the jokes in the sound design like the fact that whenever guns are firing you've got like human voices going pew 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 pew. um there's just there's a there's a lot going on here all at once and it hits a bunch of different senses which i think makes it even more overwhelming because you're you're kind of used to like okay this is a really visually complicated movie i've got to watch very carefully but when your eyes are trying to pick up things at the same time that your ears and your brain are trying to process like really really fast-paced verbal stuff and then then at the same time there's like weird music jokes and weird sound effect jokes going on i mean it it is overwhelming but i like a film that overwhelms me if it's not overwhelming me by beating me down like something like irreversible if it's overwhelming me with cleverness like that's my favorite kind of movie guys and just when you find your footing in the whole all the bat lore they bring in, in traditional Lego movie, a lot of bad guys from other, yeah. other <laughs> movies, other franchises. Like all of a sudden, there's gremlins in the movie. How, how, how delightful, you know? I, I wish they had uh, done more with the gremlins. I wish they had done more. I wish they'd done more with those bad guys in general. Like, there was a definite, we could only get the bad guys from Warner properties and oh, for sure. generic properties, things yeah. going on, which felt like smaller than the Lego movie itself did. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, we've got the greatest villains in history, including 
a big lizard thing that kind of looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon and is maybe meant to evoke Godzilla. Like, I think, and no, I think we've got the, Jaws. I think that was the Kraken from Clash of the Titans. Was it really? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Don't, I wouldn't necessarily put money on it, but I think it was. I mean, nobody released it. Oh, no. wait, he did release it. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Mind blown. Uh, I, I liked also that, that despite having Ray Fiennes in the voice cast, they had Eddie Izzard do the voice <laughs> of Voldemort, too. That was, uh, that was fun. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, movie. kind of going back to what Tasha was saying about there being like just so many levels of cleverness in this. Like, there's cleverness even in the voice casting mm-hmm. here. And then there's like inside jokes in the casting. Like, we in the first half, we mentioned the Billy D. Williams kind of getting to come back as Harvey Dent slash Two Face. So that right there is kind of like a nod to Batman movie history. But even something like Doug Ben doing the voice of Bane like I don't know Tasha I think you used to listen to Doug Loves Movies but like Doug Benson uh, did a horrible Bane impression from The Dark Knight Rises like it was like something that he always did on that podcast and like he was cast for this because of that horrible impression like <laughs> that's like just such a deep nerd joke in the voice casting Conan O'Brien as the Riddler yeah yeah Siri as the voice of the computer right yeah no Pewter. Pewter. Well, the voice <laughs> of the computer. The computer's name is Pewter. Yes. It is not a Pewter because that is not a thing. <laughs> I hate to be the one to tell you that that is not a thing. Uh, and Jemaine Clement as is, is really? Sauron is just a hilarious idea, yeah. especially after, you know, seeing him as a giant evil turtle in, uh, in the last <laughs> Disney film. And the whole New Zealand connection there. Yeah. It's, 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 there's a lot of wit. And, yeah. And, uh, well, and also uh, his Flight of the Concords uh, bandmate was in uh, Lord of the Rings as an elf. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> Connections, go. guys. Oh, and you've also got Channing Tatum as Superman. Like if there's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have the dark hair and the, well, maybe he does have the chin dimple. But I mean, it, like Channing Tatum in a Christopher Reeves kind of way is starting to feel like very Superman-like, you know, the, the big muscular uh, smiling Boy Scout. Uh, and that just seems like a good role to put him in. Mm-hmm. That was a carryover from the Lego movie, though. But yes. him, him and Jonah Hill Jonah as Hill, yeah. uh, Green, Green, Green Lantern. Lantern yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot layers. going on. Yeah. We should talk a little bit about how it works as a Batman story, too, because that whole, like, is Batman a lone Avenger of the night, or is he the the sort of patriarch with this expansive uh, Bat family with Robin and Batgirl and a bunch of other characters I could nerd out saying? But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like that that plays out in in this movie. It's weird. If you strip away the Batman mythos and the Batman characters entirely from it, this movie is... Yet another – it's like the kind of, of 80s movie that always made Scott pull his hair where you've got a dad who's perpetually on his cell phone to indicate that he doesn't have enough time for his family and he's he's not emotionally connected and he's got to learn that it's not all about his work and that his work isn't important, that what's important is people. I mean it's a really shallow story that's been done a billion times and I didn't even think about that until the end because mm. – for me, this movie skewers so effectively the things that I have found most like frustrating and annoying about this culturally ubiquitous character for decades, especially just the growing idea that he's not allowed to have any emotions except rage, which they <laughs> they, they lampshade and foreground in this movie so hard, like up to the point of having him actually say, I don't feel any emotions <laughs> except rage, grrr. Yeah, I like that it, in, in some ways it's, it's such a pushback to the Batman of Batman v Superman, which was just no fun, never fun, really 
mean guy, um, <laughs> driven entirely by rage. And this is at once like a lampooning of that and a taking a character away from that in a really fun way. I mentioned this in the first half, but Glenn Weldon's theory of, of, of Batman kind of cycling through darkness and light over the years. This is, seems to be collapsing that uh, cycle into a very <laughs> a tight circle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's making a light joke out of his darkness, but it's also, it, I mean, it's giving him that darkness. Sure. The the business in the original Lego movie where he's got his own theme song that he recorded that's like <laughs> <laughs> heavy scream metal of darkness, no parents, really rich though, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is a hilarious send up of the the darkness that people keep feeling compelled to put into Batman. I think this movie also lampoons it just in a really strong way. Like I talked in the in the first half about how Batman is aspirational because he's human and he doesn't have powers, but he's worked really hard to be like the best human that there is like in all regards. He's a very wish fulfillment oriented character. He is a billionaire. He's incredibly handsome. He is desired by all of the women. Uh, he is a brilliant detective. He's a martial artist. He is immune to Martian Manhunter's mind reading because he's just that cool. He's, I mean, he's a world class scientist too. He's a world class scientist. He he's an amazing code breaker. Like basically any skill that you can stick on him, people have. And the the one thing that the Lego Batman movie does that people have quietly shied away from is acknowledge that it would be super awesome to be all of these things <laughs> and that you would know that you were super awesome. Plus, plus the abs. <laughs> plus the nine plus pack. crazy jacked. <laughs> yeah. So, so very jacked that he can't fit into the uh, Fortress of Solitude's air vents, I guess. But yeah, acknowledging that this is a wish fulfillment fantasy in a big way and then just making him aware of that. It's such a small shift and it works so well. And the tech, the Lego Batman movie takes also allows for Robin. Robin as a character has not necessarily fit in very well to the the grim and grittiness of Batman. We've had one, well, not counting the 66 Batman, we've had one big screen Batman, oh, Robin. Robin. Yeah, and, and, I, and was it wasn't Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of like teased kind of. as a potential Robin. But then he becomes Batman apparently or something. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's a, curious ending yeah um so but but yeah robin just as a character maybe doesn't necessarily fit into a certain vision of batman he's great here though i love michael Sarah. No, no, ba- <laughs> like like robin is my favorite part of this movie actually and you know it, you mentioned tasha kind of being the the 80s movie archetype of like the dad too busy to be with his son but it's also just it kind of functions as a buddy movie for a lot of it between uh batman and robin which is kind of nice to bring back into the canon mm-hmm. and there's also that that really neat generational thing going on where we overtly acknowledge like there have been batman comics that acknowledge that alfred is basically batman's spare dad mm-hmm. you know and that he considers himself to be his stepfather and we not only acknowledge that but we have alfred kind of saying you should also experience this it would be an important part of your development which the movie never quite says it but he's basically saying it's time you give me a grandkid that's true. Oh, I yeah. didn't think of that. Yeah, and, and there's also I mean I th- I feel like you bring in Robin and it instantly leavens the character because mm-hmm. it's hard to be completely grim and dark all the time when you have a gymnastics enthusiast uh, <laughs> bouncing around and, and solving crimes. Every, well, every yes. five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, great running gag. Uh, it's much easier to run when you're not wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a fun movie. Um, I did not recognize Michael Sarah in his voice. I, I've come to find Michael Sarah's voice fairly irritating, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't hear it in there at all. I thought it was a really spry piece of vocal work. Also, a reunion of George Michael and Joe Bluth. It's true. <laughs> hey, I was thinking, if I'm going to be a superhero and go on awesome superhero missions like this one, can we use code names? Mine could be Robin. I'm sorry, say that again? Robin. As in the small Midwestern frail bird. Yeah, and I already have a catchphrase. Tweet, tweet on the street. Hard pass. And a song. Fly, Robin, fly. Harder pass. Now fly. Woo-hoo. Okay, kid, I'm going to teach you how to master build your way inside that thing. Yay! Grab those two by sixes, pull out the actual studs, disconnect the six by ten plates. This? Whoa, unbelievable obeying. Now, let's ride. Toes to the nose. Now you're cleaning the cube. Yeah. Now, get creative. Freestyle a little bit. Oh, that's good, kid. It's like looking in a bat mirror. Okay, leave. Got the projector, Dad. Booyah. Do everything we just did backwards. Oh, shall we talk about uh, Barbara Gordon? Yes. Yes. Babs Gordon, who is introduced uh, taking over for her father as commissioner, uh, police commissioner, with a with a wonderful sizzle reel. Yes. <laughs> all her many fine qualities, including statistics and compassion. And a degree from Harvard, Harvard for, for police. police. Harvard for police, yes. Uh, and Rosario Dawson's uh, so fun as, as a enthusiastic but skeptical about Batman and increasingly willing to throw cold water on, on, on his pretensions uh, uh, throughout the film while still wanting to be his partner and eventually becoming... She won't call it Batgirl, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can call it we can call it Batgirl. I, I you're not going to like this, but I found her character very disappointing. Oh no, she she's got that great introduction and the, just the the whole moment where she's like, "We are tired of Batman being a vigilante. We want to like work with him." And by the way, I'm super competent and like have all of the skills, and I don't necessarily need Batman to clean up. That is setting up a terrific conflict that we never really do anything with that isn't solely about Batman sulking. Mm. And I I just, it's such a great story hook that does not get developed at all because we're much more concerned with like his emotional thing around here. And even that I could have probably dealt with if when she shows up and he he like immediately falls in love with her, like complete with like cheesy music in the background and like she's like this sparkling thing. It's exactly the dynamic between the protagonist and uh, Wildstyle in the first Lego movie. Like exactly right down to he's not actually listening to what she's saying. He's just like looking at her being pretty. Mm. And then with the character kind of going on to not really be a very important part of the film. Alfred's uh, arc as spare dad is so defined. Robin's arc as spare kid is so important in the movie. Does Babs do anything important well, at I, all? I think she's kind of functions as a romantic MacGuffin, <laughs> or, <laughs> you, you know, and like, like I said, at the end, she's very clearly referenced as a platonic uh, associate to Batman. And I feel like the way she's kind of set up with uh, him being bowled over by her blocky beauty, uh, <laughs> but it turning into more of a relationship of equals is a nice pushback to the odd fit that romance has with Batman that we talked about in the first part of this. I, I think uh, a running gag I, I just enjoy throughout both the movies, uh, the Lego movies in general, is, is sort of the, the sexual attraction between these, these decidedly unsexual designs. <laughs> yeah. you know, there's nothing sexy about a Lego 
I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but but, but to, to see the Legos being being attracted to one another, it's it's uh, it's delightful. I actually noticed in the uh, there are actual minifigs where the the women do have like scooped in sides to mm-hmm. to create a waist, and I sure. think it's interesting that they don't have that here. They're all exactly the, the same. The, the body. scooped in sides are, are painted on. Don't call her Batgirl's uh, costume at the end. She does have the the little uh, scoops, uh, yeah. well, whatever the heck you would call that, yeah. waist yeah. scoops. Yeah, yeah. She has we're, scoops. we're making waist scoops a thing now. <laughs> It's thigh gap and waist scoops. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I wanted her to do something, anything. But you get that great scene of her uh, <laughs> stumbling on Batman, staring in, into the yard at Arkham Asylum. Uh, you know, that's that's fun. That is pretty fun. I don't know. I, I, I don't, little, I, that little bit of dialogue. I, I mean. I, I don't know. The, she kind of coasted on the introductions of the rest of the movie. You know, that was, that was such a <laughs> wonderful moment that I, she didn't have to do that much more. Although I, I did find the character a lot of fun. You know, I did write an entire article that is one of the most popular things I've ever written about female <laughs> characters that get really awesome introductions that stick with you, mm. and then the film has no idea what to do with them. Yeah, I, I didn't feel that she was quite wild styled to that yeah. degree, but uh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, she doesn't get she doesn't get basically sold to the hero as a reward in the end, and she doesn't have to get rescued at any point, like any more than the rest of them, I suppose. But yeah, I just I wanted her to have something interesting to do. I mean, she went to Harvard for police. She helped save Gotham. What's more interesting than that? Uh, I don't know. Batman does that every day with one hand tied behind his back and then gets a parade for it. Because he's awesome. He is kind of awesome. <laughs> I really enjoyed the the degree to which this movie just wholeheartedly embraces Batman. You know, because like in the Dark Knight movies and uh, in the Tim Burton movies, you've got this whole like push-pull between like the cops don't like him and journalists aren't sure he exists and every, everybody's like, yeah, but he's a vigilante. Here it's pretty much – we're back to that wish fulfillment thing. It's just like, yay, Batman. He's the coolest thing ever and he saved us all again. Hooray. And it's nice. It's like fun to have that level of unadulterated hero worship for this character who in the culture kind of gets unadulterated hero worship. It's nice to see that on screen. But Barbara Gordon doesn't worship him. She is introduced as saying we don't need a Batman or or what's the line? Um, It takes a village, not a Batman. She is the Batman naysayer. She fills that that role in the story. True, but there's not like any actual asperity to it. Like she's immediately right. willing to. Well, and there's no hang action, out with him. Yeah, and there's no action connected to it. It's mm-hmm. it's just a a state a stated position, but it doesn't necessarily have an effect on the story arc. Yeah, fair enough. There's a lot more to talk about with Lego Batman, and we'll get into that more with connections. Where we'll talk about how this relates to the '89 Batman we talked about in the first half of this episode. We'll be right back. <clears throat> yes. Hi, Bruce Wayne, billionaire, bon vivant, gallivanter, playboy, Gotham's most eligible bachelor, like 90 years in a row. That's me right there. I know who you are, Mr. Wayne. You bet you do. Quick question. What is your problem with Batman? And also, what the heck, dude? I'm glad you asked, Mr. Wayne. I'm not a Batman hater, but we don't need an unsupervised adult man karate chopping poor people in a Halloween costume. We need to take what's good about Batman and marry it to actual laws and proper ethics and accountability. I hate everything you just said. Because my dream is for the police force to team up with Batman. Wouldn't that be better? Now it's time for Connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Uh, I'll start off with one thing they have in common. Batman. Yeah. Batman's in both of these yeah. movies. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> all right, uh, let's go home. Yeah, but... <laughs> 
But I think it's a good example of kind of what we were talking about, where, where there are things that define Batman that has to have a few key things, but you can do a lot within, within that. You can, you can bend Batman in lots of different directions. And I think Lego Batman is kind of all about treating Batman as a big stretch arm strong toy where, where we'll see how far we can push him in, in various directions, including some references to the 89 Batman uh, pop up throughout the film, but also pop up. I think, you know, I think it's really pushing back against the, especially grim Batman of Batman v Superman and, and maybe some other things like the Batman Arkham video games, which mm. are, uh, uh, as my wife refers to as uh, F everything Batman, <laughs> very grim. Uh, <laughs> and also like latter day, uh, Frank Miller, Batman, who's just like yeah. kill them all. And there is no God to sort them out. So whatever. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier. It's like, I like every different shade of Batman, except for the extremes. Like I really don't like the, Let's not take this at all seriously, Camp Batman of the Joel Schumacher movies. I don't think that's fun at all. I think it's just kind of, you know, disrespectful is not the right word, I guess. But but it's, it's, it's you know, I, 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 that's not my favorite. I really don't like the super grim Batman of Batman v Superman. Although I think Ben Affleck is not the problem with those. But, but No, no. Like, the, pro- the problem is scripting that has him, like, branding bats yes. on people. Like, torturing people. Yes. That's not fun. That's not that's not Batman. But I think, yeah, Lego Batman kind of, well, obviously being a light comedy, um, does present the, f- the full spectrum of Batman and, and has a lot of fun with that. How's that connect to the 89 Batman? I think 89 Batman's where the seeds planted for, for what the grim Batman uh, of the big screen would become. Also, there's the fact that 89 Batman was the definitive film Batman at the time. It was the only sure. film Batman happening. Right now, Lego Batman is kind of a, a supplementary Batman. Like we also have the official DC movie universe Batman played by Ben Affleck, who has his own solo movie coming. So it's we we've reached a point where like these two different Batmans can coexist on film sure. at, at the same time, which is nice. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that we would have gotten Lego Batman as the first and only Batman movie in in years and years sure. the way that eighty nine Batman was. It's also kind of a canny bit of marketing in some ways from Warner Brothers where. And I appreciate it. It's a candy bit of marketing that I appreciate where I can take my kid to this movie mm-hmm. and she can go see a Batman movie. And I'm, Get him I'm, young. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking her to Batman v Superman for a lot of reasons, but, <laughs> but even if it were great, it would not be appropriate for her. It's interesting that uh, this, this Batman movie also brings in Superman and the Justice League mm-hmm. and the idea of like a larger DCU that's all kind of operating within the, the spectrum of the story. I mean, one of the interesting things about the Burton movie and just past Batman in general is that they really, for the most part, have not acknowledged that larger world. But now we're in a franchise world. You know, we're in a world where everything, I mean, Batman Lego movie itself is part of a a franchise, but it also acknowledges the past existence of Batman as part of a franchise and to some degree the future existence of Batman as part of both this franchise and the DCU movie franchise. There's a whole lot of synergy going on here. Is this more a Lego movie or more a Batman movie? Oh, I think it's kind of a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of of movies. Uh, it works as both. Yeah. I mean, for me, it doesn't. It's not nearly as good of a Lego movie as the Lego movie mm-hmm. because it it doesn't acknowledge what's going on behind the scenes. Like right. apart from that pew 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 thing, the Lego movie. I, we had a conversation piece at the Verge where I went into this a bunch because it feels beside the point to make these complaints, but still, it, like. In the Lego movie, it was so important that they were Legos for reasons that you don't find out till the end of the film. 
And then it's a really interesting reason that deepens the story and makes it like more metaphorically rich and more richer from a storytelling perspective. Here, it's just the characters all happen to be Legos. Yeah, I agree that that is the thing that makes the original movie rich. But yeah, I wasn't really expecting that from this this one. Well, I mean, it's a it's a trick you can only call once. Yeah, I didn't really miss it. You know, it, it didn't lessen my appreciation of this movie. It raised a couple of questions for me, like, is this the same Batman? Is this specifically, is this the same Batman that was dating Wildstyle? Like, Mm. how does that work? Where is Batman world? Or is it DC world? Like, what what is this world? Where are all of these other toys coming from? Well, see, it's on a plate that is held together (laughs) above a giant abyss. (laughs) Full of underwear, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I disagree a little bit that the whole Lego thing isn't necessarily taken into account in the story that much. Because, I mean, like, they do save the world by being Legos and by clicking together, <laughs> you know, like it, it's kind of built into the the way the story resolves, but it obviously also does not have that major kind of meta wall breaking thing happening that the Lego movie did. But 89 Batman, <laughs> we, we were in connections, how, guys. How, how Lego-y was that, man, was that movie? <laughs> not that lego but I, I think one real connection is the relationship between Batman and Joker mm-hmm. as it plays out in both movies. Well, I mean, it's really spelled out in the first one. You made me, I made you, all mm-hmm. that. But in this, the relationship is very central to the movie, and Batman's acknowledging that uh, Joker is, he is in a relationship with Joker as, mm-hmm. as his arch villain is a key point of the movie. And yeah. it's, it delightfully played out. Uh, I, I keep saying delightful. I'm sorry, everyone. It is whimsically pleasing. Um, <laughs> but it's whimsically delicious. I enjoyed Zach Galifianakis as uh, a menacing yet needy Joker who uh, just wants to be uh, hated. <laughs> that, that's the whole business of I just I want to hear those three little words yeah. I hate you yeah. <laughs> and can't get them it's a, kind of a spoof of the traditional uh, Batman Joker relationship but it also kind of gets to a core truth of that relationship as well yeah you definitely get with the 89 Batman that feeling that the Joker is obsessed with Batman because of what Batman did to him. You know, he ruined his face. He destroyed his life. He's this weird anomaly that's not like anybody else. And the Joker seized on that. But they're also operating in a world where there aren't any other supervillains yet. There aren't any other superheroes yet. So their relationship is special because they're both like Tim Burton-y outcasts. And then in the Lego movie, it's much more because this world is so crowded, because you have so many other people that you're fighting, it's important to me that I be special to you. Well, and there's a hierarchy of badness too in the mm. in, in the Lego movie, whereas like in, in 89 Batman, like Joker is as bad as it gets. And in Lego Batman movie, he's like he's a cuddly villain. Like he has to sneak into the Phantom Zone. You know, he's not <laughs> he's not an actual bad guy. And, I mean, he is trying to destroy Gotham, but it's kind of like an expected expected. It's it's more of a nuisance than anything right, else. Right, and and they do. There is some dialogue that kind of nods to the fact that like Batman never catches the Joker, you know, and he he always lets him go. Um, nodding to the cyclical nature of Batman-Joker conflicts. It's interesting to me how in both cases they're they're so – like part of what defines the Joker is that he's just so inhuman for whatever the movie defines human as. So like in the 89 Batman, like he's got that horrible distorted face that even when he puts on makeup and, and is like a normal skin color, he doesn't pass for normal. Right. And in the Lego Batman, he's got like yellow fangs. Like he's in, in those like weird circle eyes with the big uh, shadows under them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks highly abnormal, even for somebody with white skin and green hair. And in the super close ups where, where Batman is like, you know, refusing to acknowledge their special relationship, when he starts to tear 
you're up. And he's like biting his lip with his sharp pointy yellow fangs. <laughs> I mean, that just as a visual made me crack up all by itself. I feel like in both films, every detail has been thought about and fussed over and, mm. ma- and matters to the overall design. Like Joker tearing up and getting, getting three reflective rings in his eyes. <laughs> uh, I feel like if you walked through, even if it was just a matte painting, if you walked through the Gotham of the Burton movie, every gargoyle would be in place and every little uh, filigree on, on every building would have, would have been thought through. It's, it's, uh, these are not, not casually made movies. Yeah, some of those details are really weird, though. I like. I'm still bothered by the fact that Vicky Vale has like a princess bed and a teddy bear uh-huh. in the '89 Batman. Like, that's a weird, weird detail, and it's not an accidental detail. No, she's being presented as this like weird little princessy girl thing. Who's also a tough dame who goes to war zones and takes fashion photography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just it's a it's a really strange amalgam of things. One of the things that's interesting about the Batman Lego movie is that there are a billion characters. So you don't have to have that kind of weird amalgam of we need this character to be all things to all people. Like you can just make every single character it's it's different own very specific thing uh which can be just a lot of fun when you've got something as specific as like the harley quinn of a lego batman movie who is a much lighter and more fun harley quinn than a lot of the ones Mm -hmm. out there and she's just like eh, you know whatever he's a jerk let's come up with an evil scheme it'll be cool it's interesting to hear you say that because i think in the lego movie Lego Batman was one of those characters. It just kind of existed to to do the the one thing and do the one joke, and he, he had a little more, I guess, impact on the story than some characters in the Lego Movie. But it's interesting that this movie was able to kind of expand that not quite one note, but maybe like one joke character into a full movie with its own characters like that. Yeah, uh, the conversation that we had at The Verge, um, the two people I was talking to, one of the things they brought up was like, you know, is there any other character that could sustain a movie like this? And I'm like, of course there is. Like we we expanded essentially a like a one joke. I am a pop cultural meme uh, but I'm like meaner and louder than the normal version of it, like into an entire movie. And it's a really fun movie. I don't see any reason why you couldn't expand Harry, like Harry Potter's presence in the Lego movies out into a full thing. Uh, if Warner's rights extend mm. to that. Or, oh my God, Harry Potter Lego. I want it right now. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I think you're saying Batman, you have 80 years of lore. You have many different ways he's been presented over the years. You can make him funny. You can make him dark or whatever. You can make the fact that he's dark funny. I'm not sure that anything else quite, maybe Star Wars might work. Something that something that has that much like lore and depth to it. Uh, I can see maybe like a Star Wars, Star Trek, something, something that big. I think it has to be big. I mean, Harry Potter is big, but it's very specific. I think it, we've basically just gotten in the books and the movies, we've gotten J.K. Rowling's vision, and it's very specific and well-defined. Um, it hasn't Harry Potter hasn't been kind of let loose to be shaped by the pop culture at large the way that uh, Batman has. Yeah, I mean, that's a bad example because for good or for bad, Harry Potter is still mostly a single author phenomenon, whereas kind of one of the things that defines Batman is that so many different people have written him. Mm-hmm. And even Star Wars doesn't have like that depth of uh, of writing. Star Trek does. And a Star Trek versus Star Wars thing is kind of like a Roger Rabbit level <laughs> fantasy of what would it take to get all of these things on the same page. But, I mean, I agree that Batman is is pretty unique as a character, but there are a lot of other superhero 
heroes that have been around for a really but long would time. would it work for Spider-Man or Superman? I feel like Spider-Man, that character is a lot more narrowly defined than Batman, and his universe is less expansive, which is, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a great character, but I feel like the, that we have, we know... You know, he's he's Peter Parker, he's tortured, he has rogues galleries in New York, and, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that, that it bends quite the way Batman bends. I think you could do an interesting uh, Lego Superman movie, and I, I think it would be something, it would look entirely different from this, but it could also be about, here are the things that define uh, Superman, what if we reverse that? I feel like we might find out. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, this is a successful movie. I, I suspect we'll see more. Lego Batman and more things said in the Lego Batman verse in the years to come. And there are just a lot of opportunities for, I mean, we're, we're getting a Lego movie sequel. There are a lot of opportunities there to introduce new characters and spin off from there. I would be really surprised if Lego as a company was not using the presence of these films uh, to try to drive new marketing opportunities, you know, to say, if you let us use your property, we're not only going to make you billions of dollars by selling like Lego toys of your your stuff. Like there is this uh, ongoing opportunity to build it into a much bigger thing. Mm. I have another connection that we can talk about that was actually pointed out by someone on Twitter, a listener named uh, Mary, who tweeted at me and wrote, I just realized for maybe the first time I saw a Batman feature with no flashback to the death of Ma and Pa Wayne. No pearls, Genevieve Kosky. Referencing, I I don't even remember what episode it was, but we were talking about the, you always get the there go the pearls moment, which of course is in Batman 89. But uh, this kind of ties into the Joker too, in that like we don't get his origin in Lego Batman and we, we do in Batman 89 and Lego Batman does nod to uh, Batman's origin, but we don't really get a full flashback or even explanation. It's just we just there's a picture on a wall, a self a selfie taken in front of the theater with Crime Alley in the back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and it just takes for granted that we know that story, you know, mm. and it doesn't need to explicate it for it's us. It's about time. <laughs> What do you guys think of that, not having that origin story? I think it's fantastic. I think if I see those freaking pearls (laughs) bounce off the ground in slow motion one more time, I might claw my eyes out in the theater. I'm so tired of that image. I think it made sense. Yeah. And that, well, it's it's so canonical, but I think it made sense in Batman because it's the first Batman movie. I think it made sense in Batman Begins because, hey, it's Batman Begins, but maybe it's time to retire it. Like when it turned up again in Batman v Superman, not that the movie did anything right, but it was like I didn't see Batman v Superman. It's in there too. It's in there too. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. thought they were. They thought they might be saving it for the solo Batman. No, per, pearls nope. and all. No, it's it's uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and uh, Lauren Cohen from the uh, Walking Dead, mm. uh, both from the Walking Dead <laughs> as, as Batman's parents. Uh, I don't think they have any lines of dialogue, but there they are getting killed. Well, okay, so they don't have any lines of dialogue. So we'll probably get like the fuller flashback <sighs> in the solo Batman movie, I, right? I'd really, rather we didn't <laughs> at this point. I, I'm just I'm so done with it. I mean, one of the things that. Batman stories have in general and that I I think Batman 89 falls into and Lego Batman has a lot of fun with is the idea of of fetishizing aloneness and darkness Mm. and grimness and seriousness and sadness as if all of these things are also aspirational and I think to some degree Batman is designed as a hero for angry, lonely people. You know, it's the fantasy of I I don't need anyone. Sometimes delivered in that voice, I don't need anyone. (laughs) I think it's fun and weird and interesting that in both of these movies, Alfred is 
kind of a pimp. I mean, <laughs> he's like pimping super hard for Vicky Vale in 89. And he's pimping for Batman to get a whole family yeah. in Lego. And he's just like, he's really pushy about it and won't take no for an answer. It's really important to him. And it's kind of creepy. But Alfred is like has always been this kind of like supportive, caring, nice character. Sometimes he has like a military background. Sometimes he has a really like dark and complicated family background. He's been an actor before as well. Sometimes he's an actor depending on who's writing him. But he's always like the support guy who really personally cares about Batman on a fundamental level. And it surfaces in really strikingly similar ways here. And it's always like the antithesis of that I am so very broody and so very alone that kind of defines who Batman is. Now, in terms of Joker, I may be misremembering, but like we aren't given in Lego Batman any reason that he is the Joker, right? No. He just exists mm-hmm. as the Joker, yeah. you know, because like even in, you know, the Dark Knight, we there's no necessarily flashback or we don't see him become the Joker, but he talks about. No, I, last I this changes so often. I don't follow modern. I don't follow the contemporary stuff as closely as I could, I guess. But there's usually no set origin story for Joker. Mm-hmm. Like Killing Joke is presented as a possible origin of Joker, and I, and I think and most recently there's even been some, the, the Scott Snyder run, which was which was very good, and I did read it, it has messed with the origin even even more. But Suicide Squad called back to the. That of acid. Chemicals. Yeah. Uh, what, suicide what? Is that a, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a movie reference in Lego Batman movie. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> Super dismissively. Yeah. That's adorable, though. That I mean, that's like a Simpsons level of freedom. It, it, like, if you have the freedom to just, like, hand-wavingly dismiss a, <laughs> a previous installation in the franchise as, uh, like, a bunch of horse pucky. Not a fun movie. It's the opposite of Lego Batman. Yep. Not, not fun. But Jarrett Leto really did a lot of prep for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you've read about this in any, any, any place. But, uh, yeah, yeah he, I hear that uh, Zach Van Galifianakis was uh, sending all of his co-stars tiny little Lego dead mice. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I, I'm sorry, I, I won't know the name, but someone someone on Twitter, was, I, I put out a joke about that, and someone um, on Twitter responded that Zach Galifianakis prepped for the role by practicing and being nice to the crew. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> it, does, it seems rather like him. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, it's probably enough visiting of Gotham City for for this installment. Oh, who knows? We might come back. There's, I imagine there's, we'll have another opportunity. There's, there's lots of Batman <laughs> well, stuff Batman. out this there. This is the definitive Batman movie. No more shall ever be made. <laughs> uh, you can find Batman on DVD and Blu-ray from Warner Brothers. It's also streaming on the usual streaming services. The Lego Batman movie is currently in theaters and likely will be for a little bit, and then it will be in living rooms and. Uh, care centers throughout uh, the land <laughs> we'll be right back with our usual recommendation segment your next picture show finally it's time to catch each other up on films or film related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast we call it your next picture show in the hopes that it will put some interesting choices on your radar Tasha, want to kick us off? Sure. Well, I'm going to punt just a little bit here because uh, I've been seeing a lot of terrible movies lately. And re-recommend something I had recommended previously on the show, Batman Return of the Caped Crusaders, which is an animated movie from uh, 2016 starring Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar from the original 60s Batman, which, uh, Keith, I had assumed from your comment earlier about how much you hate anything that takes Batman super campy that you would not like, but uh, we just had 
little conversation, and perhaps you could clarify that. I need to either clarify it or, or do do some soul searching. But I, <laughs> I love I love the the Batman TV series. It's super fun and and, and inventive, and uh, Adam West's performance especially is is just he never breaks. It's almost like Lego Batman in a way, where it's an actor taking the part really seriously uh, while the madness swirls around him. Um, no, I, I it's. It's the Schumacher, really, that feels like disrespectful and just sort of like this is just dumb kid stuff. Let's let's just trash it. Uh, and I think there's a certain amount of condescension to comics that went into the Batman TV series, but I think there's a lot of inventiveness and fun that was built on top of that. And, and uh, no, I do not want to throw the delightful baby out with the camp bathwater bath uh, <laughs> by lumping that in uh, with uh, the Joel Schumacher uh, Batman. Yeah, I well, I think you would really enjoy uh, Batman Return of the I didn't mean to check Crusaders, it out. which not only like recaptures all of the the fun of the camp 66 Batman, but it kind of approaches it with a little bit of meta, like a little bit of self-awareness of where the Batman canon has been since then. Another reason to recommend just uh, the 60s Batman in general is that without it, Burt Ward's autobiography, Boy Wonder, My Life in Tights, would not exist. <laughs> I've which, only read about that book. I've never read it. Uh, it is it is my favorite all-time showbiz autobiography because the things that happen in it are insane. I can't. I will never see Adam West's performance the same, having read about it from, from Burt Ward's perspective. But it's also Burt Ward kind of is that character, mm. that like gee whiz golly Boy Scout character, and he was drawn into the circle of Adam West, who uh, was a notorious douche lord. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find a. PG-13 way of saying this, a skirt chaser, shall we say. Mm. And at one point in the book, he he has chased a couple of skirts into their trailer, and they're both simultaneously enjoying the ladies that they have procured side by side. And given that Burt Ward starts out in his Batman life as a Christian virgin, the places that he goes without a mask become really bizarre and, and interesting. So it sounds like this is a side recommendation. This is absolutely a side <laughs> recommendation. Boy Wonder My Life and tights the things that they got up to socially on that show are amazing but also you just you find out so much about how that show was filmed in the most dangerous and, and ridiculous life-threatening ways possible there are some great stories so yeah 66 batman batman return of the cape crusaders which channels the 66 batman and boy wonder my life in tights which explains what was going on behind the 66 batman all really pretty fun things. What about you, Keith? I checked out a movie I should have checked out earlier. Maybe, maybe might have even made my list for best films of the year, uh, 2016, which is called Camera Person, which mm. is a documentary by Kirsten Johnson, who is a cinematographer for documentaries and an instructor at NYU. And it's essentially assembled from bits of discarded footage from the documentary she's made over the years, uh, which include works for from Michael Moore and uh, Laura Poitras and, and uh, a bunch of other people has taken her all over the world and to some really dangerous uh, places, war zones and the Balkans after the end of the war. And, and she's seen a lot. She's seen a lot. And she uh, she filmed it. And I don't know. I, I was not enticed by the description of this film, which is, uh, again, uh, d you know, discarded footage pieced together into a feature. But uh, it is really ingeniously and, and movingly done. I mean, at first, you know, it kind of starts out like 
with scenes that kind of brings you into how it works. Like, you know, there's this off-camera discussion of what they want in a shot, what the lighting should look like. They're just like, at one point, they get this really nicely composed shot of, of a landscape and then this amazing lightning strike. And you can just hear her exclaim uh, how happy she is with her good luck. But it kind of brings you in. There's kind of a rhythm that picks up. There's a whole montage of footage of, of places where horrendous things have mm-hmm. happened. It keeps going back to the trial of the Texas dragging death, yeah. uh, which was a you know, awful case in the nineties. And then it brings you into there's footage of, of her mother uh, who died of Alzheimer's and, and uh, it becomes a very personal film. And it really, she, she sets it up as, as I think she calls it a visual memoir mm-hmm. in the intro. And it really, by the end it has lived up to that description. It's a, a really fine piece of work and, and very much worth checking out. It's out now. Criterion Blu-ray. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere yet, but it should be soon. Yeah, it's a it's a great film. Uh, Scott and I talked about it a fair bit on the film spotting uh, mm-hmm. end of the year show that we were both on, and I think the the memoir thing is kind of key to understanding it because it is. To an extent, it's a film about kind of how memory works and the the links you create in your mind between certain events. And where biography is about what happened, memoir is about how it felt and what it meant. And camera person is very much that. Also, probably my most uncomfortable and terrifying scene of the year involving a toddler and an axe. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say that scene in the Nigerian hospital with the baby is some of the hardest to watch and just breathtakingly suspenseful and horrifying stuff I've ever seen where there's this baby that's born, it's premature and needs oxygen. They don't have oxygen. Mm-hmm. And it, if I'm not mistaken, it's, we don't know what happened. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's never resolved in the film. I almost don't want to know. Right. Just, well, and, and that's kind of what I mean. It's not about what happened. It's about the feeling yeah. that, that it created in the moment. And that's a, a very effective example of that distinction, I think. Yeah. I still haven't seen the film, but there was a there was a sequence that came up at the film spotting end of year live show um, with the the wrestler who's wandering around behind the scenes uh, with the camera following and uh, like disputing the the result of his match. And he's furious and it just the the emotion that's boiling off of him and boiling off the screen and then the place that that sequence goes mm-hmm. it's so moving and it's just such incredible access and it, and what you expect to happen doesn't happen and it sounds like that there's a lot of this movie like that yeah yeah you should, i highly recommend it to you and everyone else how about you genevieve <laughs> Um, well, like Tasha, I've been watching a lot of uh, not great movies lately. Uh, the movie I'm going to recommend is not great, but it is good. And I, it, it's actually, I, I'd go so far to say it is very good. Uh, it's Oscar nominated, as a matter of fact, which is why I watched it, because I am in the process of watching every Oscar nominated film. Um, so why <laughs> for a, an upcoming uh, piece that I am every participating in, in Vox.com. I am not watching every single one by myself we, we have split it up but yes we're we're doing a every oscar nominee ranked piece over at vox.com so you can keep an eye out for that but for that piece i finally caught up with florence foster jenkins which stars meryl streep who of course was nominated for <laughs> best lead actress and i mean obviously it's not a stretch to celebrate a meryl streep performance and this is like maybe not canonical streep but she is very good in this florence foster jenkins is based on a real story of a socialite uh, around World War II who was just, she was so dedicated to celebrating music in the arts and she expressed that through being an absolutely horrendous 
opera singer. And that sounds like it would be really one note and shamey and cringy to watch. And this movie is really not that. And I was very surprised by that. It is, first of all, Meryl Streep singing terribly is always funny. It seemed like it's something that would get old really fast, but it's not. She's actually a really great, terrible singer and finds <laughs> lots of nuances in the way that Florence Foster Jenkins butchers music. But it's also kind of surprisingly sweet. It's a film about indulgences, kind of the the little lies you tell yourself or tell people you love because it's the the caring thing to do or because it's the right thing to do. It kind of resolves in a very sweet way that is, uh, I think, kind of very true to the idea of music and performance and art being important, which is kind of the driving idea behind the character of Florence Foster Jenkins. It also stars Hugh Grant and Simon Helberg, uh, who are both uh, wonderful, particularly Simon Helberg, who plays uh, Florence's uh, accompanist on the piano, who is very talented and kind of stunned to find himself in the position of accompanying this woman. And um, yeah, Florence Foster Jenkins, it's available for digital rental, and I'm sure you will see clips of it on the upcoming oscars <laughs> neither of you have seen it Mm-mm. not yet no yeah it's it really got it was fairly well received but mm-hmm. no one i know except my mom has like seen it scott, or like scott scott seen it. it right right yeah. yeah scott actually uh talked scott about reviewed it. it for me yeah yeah and i think he he was mostly positive on it too yeah. he was he was mixed because i remembered that as being a recommendation and when we it, it came up in some regard and i said oh and you really liked that movie didn't you and he, he was like oh my god you yeah. remember this very wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah he he's seems to have some problems with it, yeah. but perhaps we should uh, all go to Uproxx and read his review there and decide for ourselves. And that's it for this week's episode of The Next Picture Show. Our next episodes come out March 7th and 9th. Tasha, what do we have lined up? Most horror movies are a little political in that they tend to reflect what the filmmakers think their audiences are most anxious about in a given era. But horror movies have very rarely taken on the great American anxiety, the specter of racial tension, which is why the new horror movie Get Out feels so daring and so current, in addition to being pretty damn frightening. It's the directorial debut of Jordan Peele of the similarly racially aware sketch comedy show Key and Peele, and it addresses race in America head on as a black photographer accompanies his white girlfriend to the home of her rich, liberal, friendly white parents and starts to see some uncomfortable patterns going on in their suburb. Get Out is an incredibly tense movie, but it also punctuates its horror with some comedy, which is part of what made us think of an earlier horror movie, Wes Craven's 1991 cult hit The People Under the Stairs, about a black teenager who ends up trapped in the house of his white landlords. There's some pointed satire going on in People Under the Stairs about Reagan-era wealth inequity and suburban versus urban life, but it's also a horror movie with some creepy scares going on, and both films are full of bizarre surprises that are best left unspoiled. So we recommend that you see both of them soon before hearing or reading any more about them. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of Batman and the Lego Batman movie and anything else film-related. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave us a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. Finally, before closing out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Tasha? You can find me writing about film and sometimes TV books and other things at TheVerge.com. Uh, you can also find me writing about books at NPR again, uh, oh. at least at the at this exact moment. You can find me at Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky, and I am at Vox at the culture section there, uh, occasionally contributing, uh, but mostly behind the scenes. 
And you can find me on Twitter at KFIPS3000 and at uprocks.com, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. Genevieve and I, I think Genevieve and I have kind of had the same job yeah, these days. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a different publication. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I pretty much have that same job, too. We're, we're kind of all in the same strange boat. Yeah. We're, we're writing, we're editing, we're... we're assigning, we're assigning, badgering, um, planning. Writing tweets. Occasionally, yeah, occasionally tweeting. Sending yeah. email, receiving email, oh, deleting email. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm on Slack, though. You guys aren't on Slack, are you? I'm on Slack. I'm on Slack. What? We're on Slack. We, 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 we talk on Slack all the time. It's a joke. Oh, it's a joke. Oh, <laughs> all right. oh, oh I, Slack humor. <laughs> Hilarious. All right. You can stay updated on The Next Picture Show via Twitter at, at NextPicturePod, via Facebook at Facebook.com slash NextPictureShow. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, think about rating and reviewing us. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keeps the show going. Thanks to Colin, the animal Griffith, for his assistance producing the show. And thanks to Delmark Records for providing recording space at their home base, Riverside Studios. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting Family of Podcast and the Panoply Network. Please tune in next time. Who has the coolest gadget? Who has the tricked out ride?